Thank you for listening to TMA's Practice Well podcast. TMA, helping you improve the health of all Texans. Hi, I'm Juliana Stanley, a practice management consultant with the Texas Medical Association. I managed a successful specialty practice, but even though I had years of practical experience, as well as a college degree, I still found gaps in my knowledge when it came to measuring practice performance. It was challenging to locate an affordable resource for the education I was seeking. It was time to find practical help and overcome what I didn't know. I made it my mission to learn how to measure practice success. It is my hope that this podcast will provide you with the knowledge you need to begin evaluating your practice using real data and eliminate guesswork. TMA has a long, proud history of promoting patient rights, advocating for physicians, and providing real solutions for your practice. We can accomplish so much when we unite in one voice. Call the TMA Knowledge Center at 1-800-880-7955 or visit texmed.org to find out how you can join or renew your membership today. Thank you for joining us for the third episode in TMA's podcast series, Measures for Success. In the previous episodes of Measures for Success, Maggie and I have talked about practice management reports, KPIs, and revenue cycle performance. Today, we're going to be talking about measuring claims-related issues that affect the revenue cycle, including charge entry lag and denied claims. Hi, Maggie. How are things going? Great. Thanks, Juliana. I want you to know we've been working on our aged accounts, and some employees have needed more training than others. It's amazing how quickly you find out, isn't it? It is. And but you know your your hard work pays off very quickly. Um, you'll find out how fast you can improve things as you go through this. I hope so because it's been a lot to fix, and I wish I knew then what I knew now because I could have avoided these issues with claims. Yeah, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to give you some ways that you can actually measure factors that affect your revenue cycle so you can address those issues before they become bigger problems. Wonderful. All right, so you're going to use these KPIs to measure your claims performance. You'll use your charge entry lag and your claims denial rate. So are you telling me there are more reports? There's always more reports. Okay. You can measure everything. (laughs) All right, so here's what we know for sure. When you file clean claims, you'll reduce your outstanding accounts receivable, and you'll limit the amount of time your staff has to spend working on claims on the back end, right? Yes. Okay. So clean, clean claims or those claims submitted with verified insurance information and accurate coding are going to be paid faster than those with errors. Seems it just like makes it sense, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, claims don't have to be worked more than once to be paid if they're cleaned up prior to submission. So you want to file clean claims and keep steady cash flow. Yeah. All right, so to keep the pipeline filed, filled with clean claims, you'll submit them on a regular basis, and you'll maintain that consistent cash flow. Okay, what's the best way to track claims then? Like you said before, there's more reports. Mm. So you'll run reports based on your, your claim status, and what they're called in your system just varies. 
Um, they might be called work lists. They might be called denial management reports. Um, sometimes they're just tasks um, and aging reports. Okay. So you'll run whatever you run on a monthly basis so you can see your progress from one time period yeah. to another. And it'll become a normal everyday, every month thing. Right. All right. And that's great because I'm already familiar with most of those things to you. So with this, where do I start? Okay. So remember, the best first step is to enter charges quickly and to stay current. Um, look into how long it's taking your team to get claims entered. Just as clinical documentation needs to be completed in a timely manner, charges need to be entered within a short time. Because the longer you wait to enter something, the harder it is to make sure everything got entered accurately. That's right? true. Yeah. So you're going to shoot for completing charge entry within 48 hours. And this is measurable using the KPI that's called charge entry lag. Oh, that for some reason, it makes sense now. Right? It's just the amount of time it takes you to get a charge entered. Yeah. Uh, the median benchmark on this is one to three days. You want to enter charges as close to the time of service as possible and avoid building up a backlog. A backlog is really hard to recover from. Okay. So ideally, you want to enter charges at the time of service. But that depends on how quickly your physician or your providers will give you the codes, right? Because mm -hmm. they don't always give them to you at the time of service. That's but true. But you're going to want to get as close to that as you can. Um, this helps you to avoid denials for timely filing and allows you the most time for correction and filing to a different insurance carrier. So, like, for example, a lot of insurance carriers limit the amount of time you have to file a claim to 60 or 90 days, right? So... If you file an insurance claim to insurance carrier A, and let's say you waited 30 days to submit it, and you file it to insurance carrier A, and they send it back to you saying, oh, sorry, this isn't our member, but it took them 30 days to get that response back to you, you're at 60 days already. And I've lost money. If you're on a 60-day timely filing. Yep. Mm. So okay. uh, it's important to, to get those in as quickly as possible. The service is already provided, so why wait to file your claim to get your money? That would be like waiting two months for your regular paycheck. Oh, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, nobody wants to do that. No, not at all. Um, and you said the median benchmark is one to three days, but is it really that big of a deal like to hit that? What if we don't? Well, it's a guideline, just like everything else, but it's pretty important. Because submitting claims more than three days after the date of service significantly increases the error rates. Uh -huh. And that results in delayed payments. Okay, yeah. Okay, memories fade, details are lost, and that potentially results in unbilled services. Like, for example, did we give that vaccine that day? Oh. So it should have been documented in the record. It should have been entered in the system. But if both of those things don't happen, then you can't file your claim. No, absolutely. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's not as much time for correction and new submission when you have a short timely filing mm -hmm. time frame. Sometimes they're 90 to 120 days, but I always try to pretend like it's only 60 just so we don't miss anything. Okay. That's a great tip. Um, so be proactive and submit all the required information with the initial claim. If you know what the documentation requirements are, like for example, you always have to submit operative notes for certain services then just add them with the initial claim. Don't wait for the insurance carrier to come back and say, oh, we need op notes. Oh, 
Because you know they always need op notes, so just send it the first time. That's that's really straightforward. Mm-hmm. Um, you can set up alerts in your system to flag you on those kinds of claims, too. So, for example, Blue Cross Blue Shield always wants an operative note on 99999. Mm-hmm. Set up a flag in your system every time you enter 99999. It's going to say, hey, you need an op note. Oh, and that you might just have to learn with trial and error. Mm-hmm. Yep, you're going to just have to learn your carrier guidelines, and, and you'll you'll figure it out as time goes on. Yay! <laughs> um, and I mean, this all, it, it just sounds like so much to this process. Like, how can we make sure all of this is done before the claim gets submitted? Mm-hmm. It can be daunting. Um, but you're going to do what we refer to as a pre-submission claims review. See, there's names for everything. Yes, I like that. (laughs) When you review claims prior to submission, you're going to have an opportunity to attach documentation, add your prior authorization numbers, referrals, add or correct modifiers, and verify that those carrier-specific coding requirements are met. Um, Coding reviews vary from one specialty to the next. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you might, for example, have... um, a carrier that requires a modifier on a certain service. There's one particular carrier that I know of that requires a modifier every time you bill for a non-physician practitioner. Oh. It's not something that's a, a standard that's in our regular coding books, but this particular carrier says if it's a non-physician practitioner, you add this to every single claim. And what they say goes. And not they. <laughs> and, and you better know that, right? Yes, yes. So... Just remember, between 10 and 30% of potential revenue could be lost due to incorrect coding. That's surprising. That's a lot more than I would have thought. Right. So it's worth the time, right? Yeah. 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 So um, before you submit your claims, remember, you're going to want to do these things. You'll file clean claims for the best results in the quickest turnaround times, right? So you'll use your claim scrubber. You'll have your coder review. And then that gives you the opportunity to correct claims data and submit clean claims so that you get the best results on the back end. That's a great reminder. How accurate is the claim scrubber? Like what happens if a bad claim gets through? Well, the claim scrubber is going to take care of most issues, but nothing's going to be 100%, right? Mm -hmm. But if you use your claim scrubber and you get your claim rules in there as completely as you can, then the number of claims you have to work on the back end and the number of claims that come back to you for correction will be minimized. Okay. So you just have an opportunity to make corrections to just a few claims instead of to a bunch. And that sounds way better. Mm-hmm. So since we can't always foresee issues with claims, we do sometimes have claims that are processed and denied rather than being paid. Um, denials are going to come through with your payments, and each one will have a denial reason. So you're going to want to review your denial reasons. They'll have denial codes. You might see carrier-specific codes, or you might be able to identify a pattern. Hmm. Okay, again, um, just pay attention to see if claims are consistently denied for one specific service, physician, or non-physician practitioner. It could be a problem with credentialing or uh, site of service or type of service. And you're going to have to be a little bit of a detective to figure it out. Once you do, though, you'll be able to limit the number of denied claims, and then you'll know what can be appealed. All right. That's great to know. Um, We do have a hard time getting certain services paid. Is there a way to find out how often claims are denied? Is there maybe a report? 
Do you think there might be? I hope so. <laughs> there is. And um, I know it's hard to get excited about denied claims, but this is kind of cool. If you really want to know how well your practice is doing filing clean claims, you can calculate your de- denied claims rate. So you'll take your total number of claims that are denied and divide that by your total number of claims submitted and that gives you your denied claims rate. Do I really want that bad news, though? Well, it's not bad news if your percentage is low. What's that percentage? Well, the goal rate is less than 5%. What? <laughs> of course, there's a benchmark for this KPI. Uh, it's 5 to 10%, depending on your specialty, the services provided, and the coding patterns. But I like it lower. I like to shoot for 5%. If you're 6%, that's okay. But... is a nice, clean claim rate. All right. Juliana wants 5%. She gets 5%. (laughs) So I'm going to hold you to that. All right. I like it. (laughs) And at this point, it's not too late to make corrections, right? It's not. Um, You can correct claims and resubmit them, or you might have to appeal them according to the carrier's process. Um, You're going to want to train your staff on the carrier-specific guidelines for appeals, which is usually published in the provider section on the carrier website or maybe in your provider manual that you would have a link to the electronic manual online. So more training? Follow-up, training, all of that, track your results, um, find out if the claims were paid, what had to be done, could it have been cleaned up before the claim was submitted. So training seems to be the best way to prevent denials and make corrections and just seems to be a reoccurring theme. So what can I do to make this training program work? So if you want to have a really good effective training program, you're going to have to customize it. Okay. Okay. Because even though surgical specialties have similar issues, your practice is really a little bit different from every single other surgical practice. There's going to be little nuances that are different, so you're going to have to customize that. So you will supply your appropriate staff with the appropriate training at the appropriate intervals. So you want to make sure the right people get the right knowledge at the right times, quarterly, annually, etc. Whenever there's updates, you'll need to make sure they get the new information. That makes sense. And kind of going back to denied claims, should that be the same person who submitted the claim originally? And can we have more than one person dealing with all of this? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of different ways to set this up. I personally like to have the person who is entering the claims being the person that has to make the corrections to the claims because that way they get to learn what didn't work. Okay. Okay. I like so, that. Yeah. Um, for example, if your person who enters all of your Blue Cross Blue Shield claims handles the corrections on the back end of all your Blue Cross Blue Shield claims, then they'll learn that Blue Cross Blue Shield doesn't like this. Yes. And you need to do A, B, C to be able to get that claim to go through. Yes. And okay? just makes it so much smoother. Right. Um, they'll learn the coverage guidelines and the nuances of the various carriers and plans. You want to make sure you cross-train your people too, though, because you have to plan for vacations or for illness or just the event that somebody can't come to work for a while, or sometimes plans change and um, you might have more people on Blue Cross Blue Shield or United Healthcare all of a sudden. 
Yes, so. or there might be an icy road in Texas one day and the city shuts down and only <laughs> one person can make it to work. That's always a possibility. <laughs> Although it doesn't happen very often in Texas. This is true, but often enough to where you're right, cross-training is important. Mm-hmm. And develop the written manuals. Oh, Remember yes. to share that knowledge between your staff. You don't want to have one person who knows all of the ins and outs of one carrier and won't share that knowledge. Yeah. Because we've run into that before, right? Mm-hmm. And that, that's just detriment, detrimental to the practice. Make sure everyone has access to that information. Write it all down. Okay. That's fair and smart. Here's a little management tip for you. Remember, billers and claims staff get busy. They get stressed out. Sometimes they just don't have the patience to work with the claims that day. Watch your write-offs to make sure that claims are being fully worked and not just written off without somebody trying to get them paid. Okay. Because okay. it's really easy to look at a claim and go, you know what? It's only 20 bucks. I don't feel like fooling with it and hit that write-off button. And we don't want to do that because over time and over a lot of claims, that could add up to a lot of money. So we want to make sure that all the claims are getting worked. So you need to make sure you keep an eye on your write-offs. So does it make sense for someone to spend two hours trying to chase $2? Not necessarily. You know, sometimes you just have to say, okay, so these claims, it didn't pay as much as I like to, but as the manager, that's up to you and the physician to decide. Okay, great. So on that note, when can we say enough is enough when pursuing a claim, when we've done all the work, is there anything else we can do? So sometimes you might need to involve the patients. Um, Sometimes you filed a claim that was medically necessary, but it's denied based on age or other um, criteria from the carrier. Okay. So for example, uh, you have a young man who had a back surgery and it was a completely appropriate back surgery, completely medically necessary for him. But the carrier, for some reason, says, oh, well, this 30-year-old man shouldn't need this procedure, and they just won't pay it. Mm-hmm. You might need to engage the patient in that. Okay. Um, after you've exhausted your appeals, mm-hmm. it's gone to a peer-to-peer review. Um, you might just need additional help. Okay. So it's important to... Remain engaged with your patients so that if there are issues, they'll be willing to resolve them with you. Um, Maintain open communication to encourage that conversation if it needs to happen. They'll be much more willing to help you resolve claim issues if it hasn't become confrontational. Yeah, that's a great tip. All right, so to recap, regardless of your practice type, the services you provide, and the insurance plans you accept, Consistency is your key to success. And training. And training. That's the next item on the list. Be sure staff are trained properly. (laughs) (laughs) I'm learning. (laughs) Enter charges as soon as possible after the service. Review claims prior to submission and review all your denials. Finally, measure your results at least quarterly so you'll be able to track progress towards your goals. And just develop those healthy habits of financial success. Absolutely. All right. Sounds like you've caught on. I have. And you know what? I feel really good. Like I, I still kind of want to take you with me, but I'm glad I have your home phone number and home address (laughs) and work number, but really thank you so much. This was invaluable. Well, 
Maggie, we've officially reviewed all the key performance indicators you wanted to measure, and you have got this. So I um, do. <laughs> remember, if you need more help, we have resources in the TMA Education Center where there's webinars as well as written publications available. And since you work for a TMA member, you can access most of them for free. Juliana, thanks for holding my hand during all of this. Seriously, I, I feel so much more empowered. And you're going to do great at this. All right. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Measures for Success. Uh, be sure to visit the TMA Education Center for additional resources.